you know, non-monogamy on the whole is more challenging than monogamy because, and it, and it gives more gifts in some ways than monogamy because it shines a light on all, on all our unresolved attachment injuries. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy. Well, welcome to episode 238. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have an amazing conversation with Kate. Kate is a sex-positive therapist and author of a newly released book, Open Deeply, and we have a wide-ranging conversation with her all about her background exploring swinging and polyamory and a lot of different stories in this episode. Yeah, it's a fantastic conversation. And yeah, as, as Emma said, like we, you know, Kate talks a little bit about the book, but primarily we're focusing on like her journey in non-monogamy, which lines up almost perfectly with her time practicing as a psychotherapist. So about 20 years or so of experience in both non-monogamy and being a therapist. So we're super excited about this. Thank you, Kate, for coming on, for sharing your story and for all the work you do. Yes. And links, of course, to everything she mentioned will be in the show notes. Including her book. Yes. <laughs> uh, before we jump into the interview, we do have a couple of announcements. First up, a uh, huge thank you to our Patreon community. It keeps growing and we love all of you in there. If you're out there looking for like-minded individuals, we encourage you to check out our Patreon community. We have ongoing chat groups, we have monthly Q&As, and we have men's groups and women's groups. To find out more, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and click on the Patreon button. And what's exciting about today, June 1st, we have Q&As tonight. We do. And so today is the perfect day to join. Check it out. It's a couple of bucks a month and you get the whole month to experience it. And if you don't like it, after the month of June, you can set yourself free for the summer. Right. Or the, or the winter if you're in the Southern Hemisphere. <laughs> or, or you can just stay and, and find right. community. Which is the truest freedom. Yes. And just a quick note on the Q&As. <laughs> we have two of them uh, each month and they're on the same night, one at 9 p.m. Eastern and another one at 8 p.m. Pacific. So depending on your time zone, you can hopefully join one or both. Yes. The other things we have coming up are some virtual events, actually just one right now on the calendar. This is open to anybody and everybody, but we do a monthly virtual meet and greet. Uh, these we've been doing for, geez, I don't know, feels like a hundred years, but that's like because we, two years. we started them in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> and so the next one is on June 9th. That is a Thursday. And we bring everybody together into a giant Zoom room. We do some introductions, a couple of icebreaker questions, and then we ask more sort of direct pointed questions to help everybody get to know each other. And we answer those in breakout rooms with a handful of people for like five to 10 minutes. And then we scramble the rooms, ask a new question and do it again. And again, these are open to anyone. You just have to be open-minded and respectful. So go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com and click on the uh, community events tab. You'll find all of the information there. We also have exciting news. Did we tell them how to find the Patreon stuff? Yeah, I did. Okay, good. You just, you just, uh. I would say you go to normalizingnonmonogamy.com <laughs> and you click on the Patreon tab. Yeah, I said that. I know. <laughs> 
<laughs> but now they know for sure. Yeah. Sometimes you have to say it like seven times yes. for it to sink in. Yep. That's right. true too. Maybe we should just sit here and repeat it. I think we would lose a lot of res- <laughs> a lot of respect from people. People would be like, come on, let's just let's just forward this, forward this. Anyway. Um, we also have an exciting announcement. We were on another podcast this that was released this week. So Philip, who was on episode 183 of our podcast, has his own podcast called Dear Polly. And on the May 30th, 2022 episode, he interviewed us. So go check it out. Links are in the show notes. We had a wonderful time talking to Philip. He's an amazing human. And we were excited to have that time with him. Yeah, it's a great conversation. And I think uh, I will say... He, he posted this on Instagram and I was listening to the episode this morning and he talked about it in his intro, how he was actually pretty moved by our conversation and the vulnerability there. And so props to us for being awesome. And <laughs> awesome. No, a huge thank you to him for having us on the show and for asking such amazing questions and for, for being a space that, that we feel safe enough to do that in. So thank you, Philip. We're excited and we're excited to see your podcast still growing. Yes. Year after it kind of kicked off. It's amazing. Yeah. And with that, let's go talk to Kate. Almost. Almost. Oh, you got to remind people where to find us. Let's do that. <laughs> go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. There you can find a contact us page, send us an email, send us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you if you'd want to come on the show or if you have any feedback or questions for us, we'd love to hear from you. And you don't have to be a, an author or a podcaster or anybody in particular to come on the show. Uh, most of our guests are just average Joes and Josephines and... Just. Just. There's I didn't say just. Yes, you did. Did I? Uh-huh. Well, it makes you special. <laughs> anyway, the point, the point is... is <laughs> to be fair... Oh, no. Don't go down Anybody that can road. come on the show, and we would love to have you. Reach out, let us know what you think, and we hope to hear from you soon. And now... Let's go talk to Kate. <laughs> Welcome, Kate, to the show. We're excited to talk to you today, and thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I, you guys have a great podcast. I, I love what you're doing. You know, just the concept of normalizing non-monogamy is so needed. I, I still feel like there's a lot of people that have no idea how many non-monogamous people are out there because, let's face it, not many people are uh, lucky enough to be able to to be out or, you know, there's certain mm-hmm. things that keep them having to be closeted. So uh, letting people know actually, you know, who we are and, and that this is a significant part of our society is, is so important. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for those kind words as well. Uh, we'd love to start by just by having you introduce yourself. All right. I'm Kate Lurie. I'm a Los Angeles psychotherapist. I've been doing psychotherapy for 19 years. I'm, I specialize in um, being, well, I'm a sex positive therapist, meaning that I serve people that are non-monogamous and kinky and LGBTQ and sex workers like porn, porn performers and escorts. Uh, I'm also an art therapist and I'm a trauma therapist. Uh, and I just finished a book that just came out called Open Deeply, a guide to building conscious, compassionate, open relationships. And I'm excited to say it's already in just a few days, it's hit uh, fifth in Kindle's sexuality section, and it's in the top 10 already in Audible in their sexuality wow, section. Wow, congratulations. So, yeah, yeah. So I'm really excited about both of those things because I just got started. You know, if it's already that high up on those lists, then goodness knows where it's going to be 
in a couple of months. So it's really, really exciting. And, and so far I'm getting um, a lot of positive feedback. So it's really fun for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's exciting. And congratulations. Thank and you. We're excited for you. Do you mind taking us back in time to like working with non-monogamous people? Like how, how did that come to be in terms of, was it like you were non-monogamous yourself and then that was the population you wanted to work with? Or was it you started working with this population and then you're like, well, I could do this myself. Like maybe where did where did the non-monogamous piece first enter your sort of worldview? Do you mind if I go way before? Do you mind if I, I go we way We don't mind anything. That? If it makes sense, you do what makes sense. And yeah. We will yeah. Okay. And if I, if along the way I forget the question, you remind me. We'll bring it back up. (laughs) Yes. I'm going to go way back. I'm going to go way back. So, uh, even though my, my family are super progressive Canadians, like my grandparents are, are from Canada, uh, for what, for certain reasons, I ended up in the deep South. I ended up in Alabama in a small town. And in that small town, there was, there was great people, but there was a lot of, um, sex shaming, certainly mm-hmm. a lot of misogyny and racism. And I think a lot of the things that I am today are in reaction to that, mm, you know? Okay, yeah. Um, so I'll say that. So, um, I originally got actually an MBA, um, took my whole life down funnily enough after watching fight club i realized that i was the edward norton character and i and i literally just i ended 11 year monogamous relationship i dropped out of my business job i left colorado i packed up my little red paseo came out to la got my a second master's in marriage and family therapy with a focus in art therapy and got in, and in the second year of coming out to LA, uh, found the person that I was going to be with for 13 years. And that was a non-monogamous relationship and marriage. So I met him in 2003. That's also when I started doing therapy while I was still in the master's program. Uh, and so when I started doing therapy is also concurrent with when I started being non-monogamous in my private life. But I, but I wasn't actually working with non-monogamous people until I started my private practice in 2011. So okay. I, I had been from 2003 to 2011, I was an art therapist and I wasn't working with those populations. But in my Got private it. life, my private life uh, was this huge continuum. We started out in the swing lifestyle uh, later at the end of that relationship, we were poly and in between we were every hybrid you can think of. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, so at the beginning of my career, I was working in clinics, doing art therapy and all that. And then I would come home and later on in our marriage, my now ex-husband, uh, he became a photographer for the lifestyle. And he had a photography company called Dirty Dolly Photography, and he would fly all over the United States uh, doing photography that they would uh, um, that couples, individuals would use on websites, okay, uh, you know, for for their profile pictures and all of that. So uh, that and that's so. Let's see. So going back to your question, you can kind of see what led up to it. Um, yeah, when. I got to the point where I was going to open my private practice. 
uh, I had clients before I even had a space. People found out that I was going to open my private practice. I had people calling me up, you know, people in the community because they wanted to go to a sex positive psychotherapist. Uh, yeah. So I had to scramble to find a place to see clients. And so my, pra- my private practice started skyrocketing immediately. Um, and so that's kind of how it happened in terms sure. of answering your question is that people knew us very well because again, uh, my ex-husband, we were low key. We were very well known across the United States because of dirty Dolly. Sure. You know? Sure. And so people knew us. And so, yeah. So when I started my practice in 2011, it, it started very, it built very quickly. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. And <laughs> Thank you. So, so did he introduce you to swinging into non-monogamy? Like when you showed up in LA, you were just this innocent Southern belle and you, like, <laughs> you walked into like, whoa, like eyes eye, like wide open now. Uh, okay. So again, let's back up. So when yep. I grew up in, in, uh, in Alabama, uh, how should I say? Even back then, I mean, people knew that I was different for for many reasons. One, I was born in Oregon. Again, my family is from Canada, so they would like jokingly call me a Yankee. I didn't have a I didn't have a thick accent like a lot of people did. I was like the artsy weirdo. This was I'm 53, so this was back in the 80s when I was in high school. I was let's see, for many reasons. I was a weirdo because I was the physics nerd. I was a weirdo because I was the artsy chick that was friends with all the artists and took all the art classes. And I was a weirdo because I was more openly sexual and, mm-hmm. and, and not ashamed of that. I got my first book on sexuality when I was like six years old. It was a book called Where Do You Come From? that was age appropriate that my mom gave me. That was, if you, you can still Google it. I still have a copy of it. It has, it's like little, little chubby mo- uh, mom and dad, you know, chubby uh, <laughs> couple that are very much in love. And it describes, it's all cartoons and it describes sex as being tickled with a feather, you know, that was, <laughs> it's very cute, uh, you know. And so, and then my mom gave me age appropriate books as I grew up. So by the time I was in the fifth grade in elementary school, I was the resident Dr. Ruth at, at the lunchroom table. Right. You, know? I, you knew all the things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so by the time I was in high school and I was, you know, again, in a small, in the small town, we didn't have punk rockers or goth kids in the town, you know, so the, the wildest you got was being a metalhead. And this was during the time of, you know, Ozzy and Motley Crue and, you know, all of these kind of bands. And so I had like the black makeup that went down like this, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and all that. So it, by LA standards, I probably would have just been popular, but in <laughs> in the town that I grew up in, uh, I was considered very wild, you know. Okay. And again, there's a lot of sexual shame there. So it's not like I was this quintessential Southern belle by any means, but I had just just ended an 11 year monogamous relationship very shortly yeah. after meeting Richard, and. Uh, it started out with Richard just with us just kind of joking around. We were both very sexual people and not scared to talk about sex. And so we joke around about uh, a once a year hall pass with like a, you know, who would be your celebrity of choice, Angelina Jolie or, you know, something yeah. like that. And in my mind, we were just joking. But now I can look back on it and see that it all led up to the day that I came home from work. And then at the time I was in graduate school, I had three different jobs because I was, you know, had to support myself. 
And I came home to our little bungalow uh, apartment guest house that was behind a main house, walked in the door, and he was seated in front of the computer screen. On the computer screen was a, a woman with her legs spread, provocatively posed, with her push, pussy displayed, smiling out at me, and he's smiling out at me. And I was just like, I was really nervous because even then I could tell he was the kind of, he's always been the kind of man that can make things that seem impossible happen. So when he s- proposes something, you take it seriously. And he said to me, I have an idea, uh, a big one. And I was immediately nervous. And he had been talking to sex educator Sadie Allison and saying to her, you know, I've always cheated on women. I really love her. I don't want to cheat on her again. And she said, why don't you, why don't you guys try swigging? And so she, so he proposed that to me. Now, this is back in 2003. I didn't even know about the ethical slut. I did not know about Janet Hardy. And in my mind, immediately I had like this orange, like it was very clear in my head, like an orange van with green shag carpet with this <laughs> lascivious man, like luring me inside and his downtrodden wife in the back. And he has the gold chain and he's like, come in, digital girl. You know, like this is what immediately was in my head. And I immediately launched in going, this is going to ruin my career. My mom's going to find out. Other therapists are going to find out. There's, what are you talking about? And then he was just very kind. And he was just like, Kate, and he started explaining it to me and started to take down some of the things I had in my head. And he's just like, you know, you, this is where we were at at the time. He's just like, you are my priority. We're not going to do anything you don't want to do why don't we just explore? Why don't we just go to dinner with a few couples and just have a conversation and just see where it goes? And so that's kind of where it started was Mm -hmm. from that place. But I was definitely the nervous one in all of that. Yeah. Yeah. How how long had you two been together when you walked into the apartment that day? (laughs) Like three months. (laughs) Three months? Yeah. Like it, it was a whirlwind. But I mean, I will say like good for him on the like self awareness of like, I always cheat on my partners. I don't want to do that this time. How do I do it differently? And who we could argue all day whether the delivery was right or not, but like at least there was the the like self-awareness to say like I don't want to do it that way. Like there's got to be a better way or a different way. Like let's try a different way. So I yeah. give a lot of credit yeah. for that. Yeah. I mean, he he's yeah. a man of extremes. Um we're not we're not together now. Um I you know, but we're still friends and and there's a lot of blessings that came out of that relationship. He he could mm-hmm. always, on a side note, he could always see things in me before I could. He he's um definitely a male muse, and there's a lot of things that I have accomplished in life partially because he kind of just said he could just see those things. He's like, I can see these things happening for you, Kate, um, and it just kind of helped me see things that maybe I wouldn't have thought of. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So when you went down that the swinging path. How did, how did that go? (laughs) So, uh, the first year we were on adult friend finder. Um, and I haven't been on that site in, in, in years, but at at that time in 2003, it was not working for me at all. And we'd go out Mm -hmm. with couples and they were just not right. And I finally said to him, I said, 
you know, Richard, I, I, I believe if we go to a party, I can change things for us. If you can just have us go to a in-person party. And he's like, mm-hmm. why would that be any different? And I'm just like, let's just try it. And he's like, okay. So we go to this party and it's in the Valley out here in Los Angeles. And it's like a little dive bar, but it's been taken over by non-monogamous people. And it's a year later, but I still have a lot of my little stereotypes in my head. I'm still not convinced uh, that I needed to take those stereotypes down. But as soon as I walked into that bar, I saw just this cra- like one, the women looked super empowered. They were beautiful. They were in beautiful dresses. They were super extroverted and they were having a great time. The guys were well-dressed, but kind of seated back and just being very respectful and nice. But definitely the women were like the butterflies in the room for sure at this particular party. And I immediately started to feel better. Uh, And, you know, so we were just like hanging out and everything. And Richard said to me, he goes, you see that couple over there? And there was this couple, they were just phenomenal. You know, that they just real high energy, beautiful couple. He's like, that's the kind of couple that I wish we could have in our life and be friends with and, and all the things. And so then he went to the bathroom. And while he was in the bathroom, I went up to her. She was dancing by herself around a pole. And I just started dancing with her around the pole. So when he came out, I was dancing with her. He was like, what, what, what? <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so, and then Richard and I, well, Richard had this dorky joke that he would, it was an ongoing joke. If he saw someone in Los Angeles that looked like a celebrity, but it clearly wasn't, he'd be like, oh, look at that guy. It's Robert Downey Jr. or something like that. It was just this dumb thing that he did. So that couple invited us back to a hotel that they had. They got a hotel because they had kids back home and they just wanted a private, private space. And so, we we get in the car to follow them to the ho- to to the hotel room and richard says and i'm not going to reveal this celebrity's name i'm just going to call him batman okay we're we're about to drive to the hotel room and he's like kate we're going home with batman and i looked at him and i go that is batman he's like what and i said did you notice now you know, you know, in this back in 2003, especially in the swing lifestyle, it can be pretty heteronormative. Mm-hmm. And Batman, all these men were buying him drinks. And I said to Richard, I'm like, at this particular party, men would not be buying him drinks if it wasn't Batman. He's like, oh shit, we're going home with <laughs> Batman. And I'm like, yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> and so at that point, everything changed because we did end up becoming friends with them. And that couple steered us to a much better website. Now it's that website is not as great because it hasn't kept up with the times. But at the time, there was a lot of like celebrities that were uh, you know, they wouldn't reveal themselves, but they were mm-hmm. on that website with, you know, with um, in, in incog- incognito mo- mode. Uh, and it was a great, great website with like amazing couples that were charming and wonderful. And from that point on, everything just started to build where we just kind of got into these inner worlds. Because as you know, with non-monogamy, it's a bit like a secret society. You get to know one person that you feel is your tribe, and then they invite you here. And then mm-hmm. you're, you're slowly going inner, 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 and then you're getting invited to these epic parties and things like that. And so that's, they were the beginning of that. Was that your first 
like you had been on the on adult friend finder trying to meet people, maybe going on dates, was the the Batman experience your first like time swapping or doing anything with another couple? Like was that your first experience? <laughs> How do you know that somebody is a slut when you, when they can't remember? I literally cannot remember. I mean, we did, we did, uh, you know, seal the deal with them that night. Uh, but I honestly, I mean, I can tell you that before that night, it was, there was times that we kind of made out with folks and, and maybe there's nothing that was memorable. Well, say that's the most, the first, the memorable first, (laughs) the first memorable experience. And so where did, I mean, maybe going into that, like, was there fear? Like, was like, what were your feelings? What going into that, like that car ride back to the hotel? Was it just pure excitement, or were there like a mix of other emotions? Well, because you said you started feeling better the minute yeah. you got to that sure. party. So did the, think, the, that I continue? Th- I think, um, yeah, I felt better when I was at the party, but. On that ride there, I was a little bit, how should I put it? I felt more in my power than I ever had. I'm like, see, this is what I can pull off if you just, if you know, <laughs> just give me the reins a little bit and I will pull off some magic, you know? And, and so I was a little bit, you know, feeling like a fancy pants, you know? Uh, uh, a, you know, a little, <laughs> you know, when, you're, when your head kind of goes... <laughs> goes yep. like this and expands. I was a little full of myself, I think, uh, proud of myself on that uh, ride to the hotel room. But yeah, things just progressively changed for us from that point on. And um, yeah, I definitely felt better. As you know, with non-monogamy, it's a journey. And mm-hmm. there was a lot of highs and lows. There was, we were great adventure buddies, but there was a lot of pain too. Sure, It was all the things. And so, what did the the journey, the transition, like you said, it it took every form from swinging to polyamory, and every form in between. Like, so you wake up the next morning having gotten your bat fuck on. Like, what happens? (laughs) What happens after that? Uh, The very next day after that particular. Time or, or just moving forward, moving what, what, moving you, forward. you wake up and where does where so does the journey take if you? If you're asking about the very next day, yeah, I was took it a little too literal. I'm sorry, that's on me. That's on <laughs> dig, me. Dig back to those to the yeah. the deep. You know, it's seven thirty in the morning. What happened? <laughs> um, so you know, so that was when, in my mind, um, the the chapter that had to do with the swing lifestyle really started to take off. Eventually we became kind of the general pattern of swingers. Like we were very, very much control freaks. We would usually, we, if we played, it was at our house, we would handpick people. We would scour the website and handpick people and like invite in the beginning about 20, 30 people to our home. And then we certainly didn't play with all those just, just for any monogamous people, monogamous (laughs) people have a tendency to think it's this big free for all, which actually non-monogamous people tend to be in my experience, way more picky and selective than monogamous people. Cause we just have Mm -hmm. access to this amazing world and we can very much hand select. So, uh, so we would hand select about 20, 30 people. The amount of people that we actually played with in our bedroom was, you know, a, you know, just, you know, five, five people, six people or whatever that we would bring to sure. the back. Maybe sometimes just one person, you know? Yep. Uh, and 
that's what we did. A lot of times, sometimes we had a party about like once a month and towards the end of doing parties, there was one party that was 80 people. Um, that got a little bit crazy. I, I find, <laughs> I find that when it's like 30, 40, that's like a, a sweet spot. When it got to be 80, people quit kind of, uh, uh, minding themselves as much. And, uh, yeah, the sweet spot was when we had the parties that were 20 to 40 people. And like I said, we were doing that like once a month for a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so how did the transition to polyamory start or come into your life? So as I said, uh, Richard is, is a different kind of human. So he just comes up with shit sometimes. Uh, <laughs> and one day he said, he knew he had to change his career and he had been an artist. He, he, there is art that he did when he was six that were amazing. Like he's a very gifted artist and, and he's had to reinvent himself a bazillion times over the course of his life. And this was a time where he needed to reinvent himself drastically and I, again, I came home one day and he said, I know what I'm going to do next. And he's like, I'm going to start dar- Dirty Dolly Photography. I'm going to be gone every month. My makeup artist, I'm going to change her name, is Donna. She, she's going to be my girlfriend and my makeup artist. I'm going to be gone like half the year probably doing shoots. Swing lifestyle is probably not going to work for us anymore in the same way. We need to be Polly. Why don't you date Donna's boyfriend? He's he's this gorgeous architect, you know. And I was just again, I was just kind of like, what, what, what? It was my turn to be blown away. And at first, I was I was just like, what are you talking about? I like to play together. I don't I don't want to change things. And and but again, it was one of those things that I knew he was going to do. D- Dirty Dolly. Donna was one of the best makeup artists out there. She. In the lifestyle, she had the reputation of being one of the biggest sweethearts nationally. Like she was nationally known as this huge sweetheart. <laughs> like people knew her. And so even though that was a really hard time for me, I knew this was good for him. And and so I went with it. But I'll have to say that during that beginning time, there was a lot of fights and a lot of discord until we found our groove. Mm-hmm. And then I eventually uh really did find my groove and, and enjoyed it. I was, he jumped into full on poly way faster than me. I had a tendency to pick really gorgeous lovers that were great at sex. Um, but that I knew I wouldn't fall in love with. It wasn't until way longer in the future that I ended up being full tilt poly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what were some of the initial like friction points that you hit you said like he kind of jumped in and there were, there was some conflict and discord. Like what were maybe the, maybe the sources of that. And then how did you work through those to get to a place where you found the groove? Yeah. I, here I have to be careful for a couple of reasons because sure. he has a whole new life with his new wife. I don't want to like throw him yeah, yeah. under the pus in any way. And I don't, and also since I'm a psychotherapist, I don't tend to reveal a whole, whole bunch. So let's see what comes out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I would just say that in general, Richard was the one who wanted to go faster. He's the one who liked change. He, he wanted, uh, just a, a f- faster and more and quick, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. for, for me, 
Um, I think I like a more gentle pace within non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of problems just in terms of that, in terms of the speed and the quantity that he, that he was always wanting. Yeah. And I think, but I don't regret anything. And in fact, I think the, a lot of the book that I wrote open deeply, I wouldn't have been able to write if it wasn't for the fact that I did have such highs and lows. I had all these amazing experiences, but I also had a good deal of pain that later on when I started my practice and people started showing up with the exact damn thing, you know, like people started showing up with the exact same problems. I already knew kind of how to help them work through it. Yeah. Uh, and it, when I went into my practice, it actually gave me a lot more compassion for Richard because I was like, oh, this isn't just him that's that's <laughs> being really yeah. challenging. This is what pretty much all couples are bringing into therapy. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah so I had a lot more compassion <laughs> after seeing that. Yeah, I was going to say that like that concept of I think just the idea that two people get into something like this and go at the same speed is, I think, a rare thing. I think that it's very common to have like the gas break analogy is, is a pretty ubiquitous one of like someone's kind of driving it forward and somebody's sort of like being the, the checks and balances. And I think that is healthy, but also can create the discord that sounds like you've come up against. And I know we've talked to you many people who have come up against that same exact thing. And and it's fun to see that it can flip. And all of a sudden the gas is now the brake and the brake is like jamming on the gas pedal. And then that like messes with people's sort of perception of everything as well. So yeah. And, and that did happen with us. I mean, down the road, there was a towards the end when we were heading towards a divorce, there was a point where he was like, let's not be poly anymore. Um, let's just focus on each other. And I was like, nope. <laughs> and he, again, he was just like, he, he was blown away. But that, that's the mm-hmm. thing. And I always talk to people about that. It's like, as soon as you play separately, uh, you are opening the door to love in a way that you aren't when you just do the swing lifestyle. And mm-hmm. other people are involved. And now feelings are involved. And you can't just back the truck up once right. you do that. Mm-hmm. You know, so I always just say, you know, it's, it's going to, if you decide to be poly or place separately, it's going to bring a lot of joys, but be careful and really think it through because there's a lot of things that you cannot back the truck up from. Sure. Right. Sure. Yeah. It's going to very likely drastically change your relationship. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And maybe, in maybe really good ways, but also maybe challenging ways. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's. Yeah. You know, non-monogamy on the whole is more challenging than monogamy because, and it and it gives more gifts in some ways than monogamy because it shines a light on all on all our unresolved attachment injuries. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you are blessed with that, uh, you know, elusive, secure childhood where your parents were always there for you and everyone had your back, and so then you go into non-monogamy feeling that people will have your back and that it will be okay. That's great. But for a lot of us, we have an insecure attachment styles. We've had bad things happen in our backstory, like, you know, our dad leaving when we're little or what have you. And we bring that into non-monogamy, right? Like those unresolved attachment injuries. And then they play out in our relationships. 
you know, and again, that's one of the main things I talk about in my book. It's like, that's not going to stop somebody from being non-monogamous. Just, just like an artist, you know, with an artist, even if they're depressed, that doesn't stop them from being an artist. An artist doesn't say, you know, I'm going to be an accountant instead because I had a traumatic childhood or I struggle with depression. No, they decide to be an artist anyway. And then they figure out how to deal. Same mm-hmm. thing with non-monogamy. For a lot of people, it's leans towards or is an orientation. And so despite having a bad, you know, hard backstory or struggling with depression or what have you, they will still choose it. And so that's one thing I talk about plainly in my book is, okay, how do we manage non-monogamy if we concurrently have these things going on? And, you know, we all experience it, how, how our unresolved injuries light up in our non-monogamous relationship when we have to figure out how to cope with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of, all of that. Um, I was curious, how, how has your journey with non-monogamy gone since, since that relationship with Richard ended? Um, well, let me just say at the end of that relationship, in 2016, so I asked for a divorce in 2015, October 2015. He didn't move out until 2016. I moved my boyfriend a two years in, so I just got switched out <laughs> men. But then I ended up ending that relationship in August. So in May, I moved him in. August, I broke up with him. So I had like a double breakup in 2016, which mm-hmm. actually uh, was a good there was a lot of good things about that because previously I had not been able to write the book. I had had the book in my head for three years. A little bit after that, I hired Jordan Woolen, uh, a hypnotist. And I started writing the book the day after she hypnotized me the very first time. And then I just never stopped writing. It took me five years to finish the book. And honestly, like downscaling my life is what I had to have in order to do such a massive project because the book is not simple. Um, I was still a dating cat lady during that time. (laughs) Uh, But before I started writing that book, I was going to all the parties, like a lot of kinky parties, like all kinds of different parties. And in order to write by by yourself. um, Well, in the last two years, mostly with um, the boyfriend that I had for the last Mm -hmm. two years. Oh, right. right, He was, he was, both of us were kind of switchy and he was kinky. And so we kind of did a deep dive those two years more in the kink non-monogamous scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, By that point, I couldn't, I've never really played at other people's parties. If I have done anything, it's in my own home. Um, And certainly once I opened my practice, that no longer was a choice, but a necessity because I got to the point that even when I went to other states, I would run into a client. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I remember one year, oh gosh, when was it? I think it was uh, 2017. I went to uh, Vegas to see AVN and I went with a girlfriend and one of my other girlfriends, Hudsey Han, she was, you know, she's, uh, she was, now she's kind of mostly retired, a pretty famous pro dom. She was throwing a party that night and I'm like, Oh, I can be free and just do things literally within an hour. One of my clients walked in and I, you know, and I had to leave. So, you know, which, you know, this is a good problem to have. I'm not complaining. I'm very, I love my career. I love my clients. I feel very blessed, but, uh, one of the downsides sides is, is, uh, 
I could be in a space where clients are, but as soon as it feels like it's ramping up into anything like play, I, I have to leave, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. No, that makes complete sense. And so you did the book and that was your life. That was her relationship. Right. She was in a relationship right. with the book for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I have had relationships. I, I dated a, a war photojournalist. He was a guy that lived in the Middle East. He would run towards the bomb to get the shot. I, I dated a... He came to LA to get away from that because he felt felt like he was going to get killed. Otherwise, uh, I dated a uh, a guy who used to be a Ford model from Ghana that was fascinating, super smart guy. Uh, you know, dated a, a British music composer, and in between all of that, had a little non monogamous fun. Uh, but I have been very much on the down low in order to make this happen. And mm -hmm. now that the book is published and I'm ramping up into being extroverted again and going on podcasts and all that, I'm really looking forward to the next chapter in my life uh, that can be more adventurous. I want to, I want to travel. I want to go to Africa and Costa Rica. Uh, you know, I'm having, I'm very much different than I used to be. I'm way more uh, spiritual, way more into social justice because I, uh, the spiritual piece, I had cancer a few years. Like while I was writing the book, I had cancer briefly, wrote through that. Um, but during having cancer, I really did a spiritual deep dive to cope with that. And that really changed me in a positive way, I feel. So uh, I'm very interested in, in social justice pursuits and things that uh, are connected to my spirituality. So I'm not sure how adventure will show up in the future. I still regard myself as non-monogamous. But in terms of finding partners, I, I don't lead with that. I lead with like finding a like-minded partner that really wants to make the world better, that really the kind of person that on their dating profile, they're like, Black Lives Matter, and I'm a feminist, and, you know, like is listing all those things before they even say, oh, by the way, I'm kinky and this and that. And that's rare. Like, unfortunately, yeah. on mm -hmm. field, people still all they do is like list their interests usually. And I'm just like, that's great, but that's... That's not what I lead with, you know? So, yeah. right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so I, and that was going to be my next question. And you kind of started to answer of what do you, where do you see your life going in your relationships going? And it sounds like very much adventure open to anything, wanting to be more, um, I don't know, intentional about this chapter of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, there's times like I said, I am pretty spiritual. I'm very science-based for sure, but I also am very spiritual. And, you know, Henry Rollins, if you know Henry Rollins, he talks about breathe in years and breathe out years. He's, he's an old, do you guys know who, who he is? Not? No. Uh, anyway, he, he's a musician. You, he, that's been part of Lollapalooza and all of that back in the day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but he talks, you know, when he talks about his creative journey, he talks about breathe in years where you're just breathing in like the culture and, and everything that's going on. And then the breathe out years where you create some kind of artistic project. And I feel like I'm very much like that across my life. And so um, I, this is definitely a time where I'm switching gears in terms of that. And then also, you know, with the book, the universe has never been louder in my life than it was about writing this book. I don't know why. I don't know if there's just one person out there that's supposed to read it and it's going to change something significant or I don't know what that means. All I know is the, and I could talk about that more, but 
the universe was super loud about this. And so I did it. I wrote the book. Um, now that it's done, I'm kind of in a phase of putting my ear to the ground again and kind of listening to the universe and saying, okay, so well, what's next? So I don't entirely know what's next. I know I want to go to Africa. I know that I'm looking for a, a next level lover. And when, and when I say that, I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about skill or what have you, although that's good too. I'm talking about, <laughs> I'm, I'm really looking for someone who can attune with me, mind, body, and spirit in a very next level way. And again, somebody who is really devoting their life either on or off the clock to making this world better somehow. And like yeah. that is that is part of their juice and their passion. And that's what they want to talk about. And we connect from that place. Um, and that's hard to find. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm being very slow. I've, you know, I've been blessed with a, a ton of beautiful lovers, male and female, beautiful inside and out. And so I am not rushed about this. Yeah, the bar, the bar is set high, right? And you don't, you don't have to settle, I think is important. And I, I think too, we, you know, when we first started, and I think this is something we've heard from other people, like, there's this scarcity mindset a lot of the time, because this idea of non-monogamy or swinging is so counter to what we're taught, that for us, the mindset was often like, okay, well, we can go out on this date, but then like, something has to happen because what if this is the last time? And then as you go through those reps, you're like, this isn't the last time we don't have to do anything with anybody that we don't like. We can just go home and have a great night. And like, this isn't our last time. There will be the next time. Yeah. But when you're first doing it, it's so easy to feel like there's no way this could ever happen again. Like I finally convinced my partner or whatever it is to go out on this date. And now like I have to make something happen versus like, no, let's do things that just feel good because there are opportunities and actually there's a less less likelihood that there are more opportunities if it goes poorly because then you're going to be afraid to do it again so it's almost right. counterintuitive to the the way that it really works but that was yeah. our experience yeah i think that's so important and i i've i've found that a lot of, so although i identify as omnisexual i tend to date men and like women, etc. You know, I, they're beautiful. I love to make out with them, that sort of thing. But it, I tend to date men and I tend to choose kind of like an anchor person. And then between the two of us, our non-monogamy blossoms from there. Mm -hmm. um, and I find that, a, you know, with men, especially being 53, like if, if I skew downward, which I usually do, just because a lot of times I've dated men as early as, uh, as young as 16 years younger than me. And the reason is they tend to be more open-minded men that are mm -hmm. about 53 tend, they tend to be more controlling, like whether they're monogamous or non-monogamous, you know, they monog, uh, if they're monogamous inherently there, that's a controlling model, but within non-monogamy, you can be controlling too. And it's exactly what you were just saying. Like when you're being pressury, like let's do the next thing. We got to strike when the iron's hot, blah, blah, blah. That can come off just as controlling is a monogamous man that's trying to put you in a little box. Mm -hmm. And so that's like a primary thing for me personally that I'm looking for is someone who is not trying to control me. If, a, if, if somebody were to say, we must be non-monogamous or we must be non-monogamous or we must be monogamous and be in a little box or we must be non-monogamous and going all to the parties. I, I wouldn't want to date either man. I, I'm looking mm -hmm. for that person that's more relaxed in their body. And, uh, 
yeah, and just know and is putting me as primary above non-monogamy or uh, yeah. any kind of relationship model, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah. You seem to be pretty open about who you are now and your your journey. Uh, how back when you started swinging in non-monogamy itself, what was the journey around telling people in your life that that in your life that that was your relationship choice? Yeah, that was a whole journey. I, you know, it started. Uh, obviously, people in the lifestyle knew, but the first person that I came out to was my therapist, which is interesting. Uh, as you may know, there's a lot of conservative therapists. There's a lot of therapists mm-hmm. that are bigoted towards non-monogamy. When I was in my master's program, and I love the master's program that I went to, it, it was a blessing. Ninety nine. 0.5% massive blessing. But if I were to have a beef with them, it would be the fact that in the vignettes, they would say something like, Sally has slept with two people. Sally is promiscuous. And I'd be like, well, I guess I can't be honest with my program about who I am. Right. Uh, you know, cause yeah. Anyway. And so it took me a long, a while to tell my therapist during the time when you're in school to be a therapist, you have to have a therapist as part of the deal, at least with the program I was in. When I told her, it felt like taking a big grapefruit out of my body, you know, um, it was because she reacted so favorably. And I was scared that not only she would judge me, but she would question me as a therapist, as a future therapist. And so for her not to be judgy meant the world to me enough that I list her in my acknowledgments in my book. Uh, and then the second two people I came out to were two psychotherapists that I work with at the clinic before I had my private practice. Again, massive big deal. You're telling, I'm telling two therapists, they could start to think of me poorly as a fellow therapist. It could damage my career if they decided that they thought I was incompetent and spread word through the clinic. It could mean that I get fired or something, but that's not how it went down. They responded super favorably and they were wonderful. And honestly, every time that I've come out, it's been wonderful like that. The last time I came out was just back in December. Uh, Cause everyone, I was almost completely out, but I had not told my mother. And the reason I hadn't told my mom is my mom is, you know, she's 82 and I was worried that it might damage her health in some way. I was, you know, that it would be emotionally too hard for her, that there's no way she could understand it. And, uh, it was Christmas time. I was at the dinner table and my friend Hudsey called and I was on the phone and when I'm back home, I always have her on speakerphone. And so I just unconsciously just put her on speakerphone, but I didn't tell her that she was on speakerphone. <laughs> and the, part of the reason I did that was because my mom loves Hudsey because Hudsey was really there for me when I had cancer. So they love each other. And so I was just kind of letting my mom share the experience, but I didn't tell her. And so Hudsey said, oh, are you having fun telling your mom about the book? And, <laughs> and my mom didn't even know about the book because she didn't know I was non-monogamous. <laughs> and my face just dropped and I was just like, and I looked at her 
and my mom and I just got up and I went to the bed. I just freaked out. I went to the back bedroom and I just shut the door. And while I was walking away, my mom goes, I heard that. Say, <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I'm going to have fun telling her about that. Now. Thank you. <laughs> at first I was almost mad. At her, and then I realized it was completely, you know, on me. And I think, I think unconsciously I did it on purpose because literally in my book, there's a place that I say right now I'm 99% out and by the time this book comes out i'll be a hundred percent out so Mm -hmm. i think subconsciously i did that on purpose and i let hudsey know that you know it wasn't your wasn't your fault that's that's all on me and uh it ended up being a great great thing and my mom's been super supportive and she's been wonderful and and so i've been really blessed that my whole coming out uh journey has been uh healing and wonderful actually yeah yeah that's amazing. And I'm so glad to hear that because it's, you never know, you never know. And you have people have their reservations and concerns for different for different reasons. And I don't blame anybody for being as open or as not open as they choose that's best for them right now. Yeah. Um, But it's I'm so glad that you've had an amazing and supportive experience with that. Yeah. I mean, so many people don't have that luxury. And I right. realize that that's a massive privilege to yeah. even just come out, let alone the positive responses that I've had. Yeah. 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 And, and so I had a, I had a question going kind of way back in our conversation here. And you had said when you're, I mean, not that far back, but when, <laughs> when, when Richard you had asked for a divorce and Richard sort of was like, let's, let's just close our relationship. Let's work on us. Let's do this. And you were sort of like, no, like the toothpaste is out of the tube, right? We can't, we're not going back. And I think I wanted to just understand that a little bit because I think that's an interesting tipping point to say like, cause you could have easily said, yep, you're right. Let's close this down. Let's work on our relationship. Let's do that. But for you, it sounds like there was something about non-monogamy that was pulling you in that direction and you weren't going back to monogamy. And I guess, can you talk a little bit about like for you, what that, what that drive is, what that pull is that keeps you, I mean, even that puts you in a position of like, I'm not going to close down our relationship even to save a marriage. Yeah. Well, well, just to clarify that moment at the restaurant where he said, let's close down the re- let's just work in- on us. And the day that I asked for a divorce were not the same day. Like they were okay. spread out by at least a year. Okay. Um, okay. You know, uh, at that time when he, he said that, you know, there was a lot of different things that had gone on in our relationship that had nothing to do with non-monogamy. We sure. were, yeah. the reason that we got divorced was not because of non-monogamy. Yeah. Or, or anything to do with the relationship model. Sure. You, you know, know, I will just jump in and say, I appreciate you saying that because I didn't mean for it to seem from my end, like I was assuming it was. I think that is a an assumption that many people do make. And I'm glad that you highlighted that that was not the case. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that relationship, it was a 13 year relationship. And again, no regrets. It, it really shaped me in a lot of ways, even the good, the bad, the whole thing shaped me in a lot of ways that, uh, that needed to happen. So, mm-hmm. you know, to get me to where I am right now. So, uh, 
So yeah, but the, yeah, the the reason that we ended the relationship did not have to do with non-monogamy. Okay, got it. Yeah. And the in the draw for you that I guess maybe what is it that you get out of non-monogamy that just sort of lights you up and and drives you towards it? Well, I I think you know, I think that answer would be different across my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say just in, in general, because I'm blessed enough to see the underbelly of people's experiences in my private practice. One thing that you'll see when people decide to be non-monogamous is they start to open up like a flower in ways that are completely unrelated to non-monogamy. All of a sudden, they're taking this art class that they had been putting off for 10 years. They're making friends that when they've been kind of isolated previously, like all this blossoming process happens that a lot of times just does not happen with monogamy. I I know that in my 11-year monogamous relationship previous to that, it was a bit like a cryogenic state in in comparison. Um, So I think that's one thing that I like about non-monogamy is, to me, it operates from a sixth love language. You're probably familiar with the five love languages. To me, that love language is carefree, fun, freedom, and adventure. And from that place of just a, a... basic cornerstone of growth and change and freedom, all these beautiful things oftentimes can happen for a person. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at this point I would more identify with as perhaps fluid and I define it a little bit differently than what the Google search will say, which is just that I allow myself to shift and change on the whole continuum from monogamy to non-monogamy However, it suits me for my any particular time, um, yeah. and I expect to surround myself with partners that allow me to shift and change. You know, with the cons- you know making sure that we meet the needs of all parties involved. You know, mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. that freedom. I like I like the ability to move towards my human potential across the board. Yeah, I love that, and I think it like for me it makes perfect sense and i we actually had a guest on not that long ago avita and and she made the comment that like for her the draw to non-monogamy is absolute freedom in her life to live her life the way she wants and maybe that means being in a monogamous relationship but it also means the freedom to not be if if that's what suits and so i think that really resonated and it resonated here as you said it as well so thank you mm-hmm. yeah yeah you know you've uh You've mentioned the book quite a few times, and I'm so excited to read it, by the way. But I wanted to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit more about that and and where people can find it. And I guess, yeah, just giving you an opportunity, a platform to to pitch your book. All righty. So, um, yeah, the book is doing really, really well. You can purchase it wherever books are sold. Uh, I would encourage anybody who likes to have a physical book to buy it from an independent bookstore. Let's let's support independent bookstores. I know Amazon is easier, but like out here in Los Angeles, you've got Skylight Books, you've got The Last Bookstore, you've got Book Soup. Let's support them. Uh, yeah, it's available on Kindle, audiobook, and paper book, <laughs> paperback. Uh, Kindle has already hit the top five. The audiobook has already hit the top 10 in sexuality. Uh, the book, so 
And basically, once I started my private practice, I started seeing couples. And when I started seeing couples, I went to all the seminars. I've seen Esther Perel speak many times. I've seen the Gottmans. Like I listened, I read all of their books. I learned about everything that the main relationship therapists globally had to say. Concurrently, in another track, I'd been learning about trauma. Now you might think, what does trauma have to do with non-monogamy? So bear with me. We don't think that at all, but no, carry go on. Ahead. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the thing that's crazy to me is that couples therapy and trauma therapy tend to run on separate parallel tracks. To me, that's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. So trauma therapy is more like learning somatic psychotherapy and EMDR and mindfulness and body tracking and meditation. That's all the realm of trauma therapy, right? When I started working with couples, I started to realize that the thing that gets in the way of intimacy between any couple is unresolved trauma. And I started to notice, I'm kind of going a little bit away from the book for a moment, but well, no, I mean, it is in the book. I started to notice that the moment that a couple is at their worst is what I have coined the term double trigger. It's the moment where both of them are triggered simultaneously. And I can give you an example. Is it okay for me to be a little long-winded? I know. Of course. Okay. Um, so imagine there's a couple uh, and Sue in her childhood she had a dad that was an addict and her mom, when she was a teenager, really encouraged her to take care of dad. And she grew to really resent dad uh, because, you know, for obvious reasons. And Sue is dating Bob and Bob in his childhood, he was bullied a lot. And so if somebody has a, uh, raises their voice or has a tone or gets big in their body language, he unconsciously has a tendency to cower which is a trigger for her. So when they get into a fight and she starts to get big because she's just upset or what have you, and he starts to cower, she gets pissed because it reminds her of her dad. And she said, says things like, why, you know, why are you cowering? I, I, you know, she starts to say cruel things, which makes him cower more, which makes her get even bigger. And you can see how this spirals. Now, this is just an example, but every couple has a double trigger moment some of them have many, and some of them are worse than other couples. And so what I figured out is to look for the double trigger, find it, and then I would do separate sessions and do EMDR, which is a trauma modality, with them on the two double triggers. And I've been able to save marriages that way. You know, because once you do EMDR on the two triggers, now you have decreased the charge of those triggers significantly. Sometimes you can clear it entirely or bring it down to a large degree. So the next time that conversation happens, it's similar, all of a sudden they can move through it easily, you know? So and anyway. What does EM, EMDR stand for? Just for anybody who's listening. Well, it's, it's going to confuse you more, but it's eye movement, desensitization, re-trauma, uh, reprocessing. Uh, so let me just say that one more time. Eye movement, uh, desensitization reprocessing. So, but what it is, it's a trauma modality and it would take me like 25 minutes to really explain it to you. Yep. But let mm -hmm. me just say this, that 
it's like Excalibur sword for therapists. You just need to be a good enough therapist to use it. And it's light years more powerful than talk therapy. If somebody has trauma, I would, I would tell anybody with trauma, don't waste your time with talk therapy. Find a good EMDR therapist, ideally that also knows uh, somatic psychotherapy because they can dovetail those two things. And that's super powerful. If you can, mm -hmm. if you can afford it, if you can't afford it, you know, there's other options. And that's one reason I wrote the book is to give people other options, uh, to manage their trauma. Uh, so anyway, going back to the book, I know you just wanted me to nutshell the book, but, um, so the book talks about all the things it's very comprehensive. Uh, you know, at the beginning, three chapters are just the basics. I kind of power through the basics really quickly. And then part two is all about the things that I have not seen in my private practice. People come into my private practice. They've already read the ethical slut. They've already read opening up. They're a month into their non-monogamous relationship and they feel lost and they don't know where to go. And so this book tackles all the things that show up in my private practice. It talks about, you know, if you're depressed and you're non-monogamous, what do you do? If you're dating somebody with a personality disorder like narcissism, what do you do? Um, you know, it, it talks about a communication model that's way more powerful than some of the other communication models. There's great communication models out there like the Imago Dialogue and nonviolent communication, but none of them say, oh, by the way, none of this will work at all if you're dysregulated in your body. So I talk about my communication model is called EPIC. Uh, the, e is, uh, the E is emotional, F is physical. The physical part has to do with grounding before, during, and after any kind of hard conversation. The I is intellectual. The C is uh, compassion, compassion and action. And I take you through all of that. That is so important in non-monogamous relationships because again, our unresolved trauma gets uh, triggered a lot more than in a monogamous relationship. So we need a communication model that helps us stay grounded all the way through if we're talking about something that is maybe low-key triggering some stuff from our backstory. Mm -hmm. You know, so those are a few things the book talks about and it's way more than that. Yeah. yeah, that's well, amazing. And thank you for all of the amazing work that you have done and all of the work that went into that book. Uh, I, you know, five years of your life and, and it's incredible. So I appreciate the deep dive. Well, somewhat deep dive <laughs> into long winded, maybe long winded response. <laughs> yeah. And I apologize for that. It's honestly hard to nutshell this book because it's just so comprehensive. Yeah, no, I like the I like the long windedness, so you're totally fine. <laughs> I, I think Hey, you don't tell me that. When I get when I get talking. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> Because seven hours is yeah, a little right. long to monologue. All exactly. right, all right. <laughs> but, you know, when you hear me say all that, you might think that it's a heavy read. And, you know, everybody who's given me feedback, they're like, I can't stop. Re I can't stop reading this book. And it's it's fun to read. And so it, I actually um, tried to make it, in, you know, as enjoyable as possible. And it's filled with vignettes that illustrate situations. And even though it talks about serious stuff, it's also fun to read. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, yeah. thank you. And links will be in the show notes if anyone wants to go find it. Right. And so with that, is there anything we haven't talked about, asked you about that you want to make sure that you share, get out into the world before we let you get along with your afternoon today? Yeah, I would just say to anyone listening out there that um, 
you deserve to be loved well, you deserve to be authentic, you deserve to be able to speak your truth, you deserve to be able to make sure that your yes is a true yes. And, you know, and that's, that's why I tried to create a book that would help people on their non-monogamous journey figure out how to do that. This world will try and shut you down. There's so much sexual shame in this world. The more you can shed your sexual shame, the more you will blossom like a beautiful flower. And I invite you to do so. Love it. Yeah. Wonderful. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Kate, for taking the time to talk to us today, uh, for writing your book and for sharing everything you did about your journey and um, where people can find ways to get more help. So thank you. And I guess have a fantastic afternoon. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. And I love your podcast. You guys are doing great work. So thank you. Thank you. Well, we appreciate that. And we're back. A huge thank you to Kate for coming on the podcast and for sharing your story and for all the amazing work that you do. Uh, And of course, your new book, go check it out. It's called Open Deeply. Links are in the show notes. Yes. Thank you, Kate. We're super excited. And uh, yeah, congratulations on the book. We have a few more things we wanted to remind you of here in the outro. The first is, again, we have Patreon call coming up tonight, June 1st. So if you're if you've been like craving that community, tonight's the perfect night to check it out. We have calls tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern and again at 8 p.m. Pacific. So two opportunities tonight to join us. And if you're like, dang it, I'm I missed the calls on June 1st, don't worry, we'll have calls again in July. So you can join us then. You can. And, and Or you can listen to the recordings. That's true. In the meantime, you can listen to the recordings if you become a Patreon member. And we have ongoing Mimi chats. We have men's groups and women's groups. So there's slots over there to join. Also, for our outside of Patreon, so these are open to anyone, we have virtual meet and greets. And our next virtual meet and greet, as we talked about in the intro, is next week, June 9th. It's a Thursday night. Come join us. We would love to have you and... Uh, learn more about you. So come join us and more information on our website, normalizingnominarmy.com. How fast can I say that? Go to the community events tab. And the last thing we wanted to tell you all about is our favorite resource for getting tested for STIs. That is stdcheck.com. With the links in the show notes, you save $10, which brings the cost down to $130. thought you were going to quiz me again. It was a, no, it's $130. No. It's actually $129. <laughs> okay, you're right. But, but yes. I've been saying $130, so you get credit for that answer anyway. I, well, I, I yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and besides you saving $10, it helps support the show financially. So we have a great deal of gratitude to you for doing that. So thank you. STD check is super fast, it is super easy, and it is discreet. It is, again, the way Emma and I get tested for STIs. You sign up online, they basically send all of your information straight to the lab of your choice, basically anyone in the country, the lab, corp, or quest, and you show up, you do the, you just give them the blood, and away you go in like maybe 15 minutes, and in 24 hours you get a text that says, hey, your results are in your online portal, and then you can send them to all of the people that need to see them. Yes. Good job. I did it. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> Links again on our website. You should just go check out our website. That's the whole point. Under the resources tab yes. or in the podcast show notes, there are links there. And again, those links will save you $10 and support the show. Yes. 
Next week, we have an interview with Maria. We're super excited, as always, about this interview. Come back and check it out. And until then, uh, I thought you were going to say something. <laughs> no, no, you got this. Let's see where you go. Let's say, until then, come join us on our Q&As tonight. Join us on the meet and greet next week. Come just interact with us. We're excited to hear from you. Yes. That's what I was going to say. All right, you nailed it. <laughs> On top of it today. Yes. Okay. And I didn't even have to quiz you about that one. <laughs> bye, everyone. You quizzed yourself right into a corner. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, anyway, bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. <laughs>